0: Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today I invited my friend Jacqueline on the show to talk about an email that I got about soulmates. We are very excited to share this email from one of our listeners.
1: So Jacqueline, read it to us, please. Juicy one. Dear Mary and
2: Jacqueline, I'm living with a man whom I truly feel is my soulmate. I've never felt connected to anyone as much as I do with him. We have so much in common. We laugh together, have great chemistry, and I really feel he sees into my soul. The only problem is, whenever I talk to him about my concerns, he shuts me down. But he does this through hugging me and just saying everything is okay. However, it isn't okay because I'm the full financial supporter and he refuses to listen. My husband never finishes what he starts and refuses to get a job, any job. The problem has multiplied, and now we have major financial stresses. In fact, I no longer feel capable of fully financially supporting us. I am so sick of him not contributing and have thought about leaving him many times, but I can't break up with him. Deep down, I know he isn't going to change, but I feel stuck. What do I do?
1: Ooh. I know I have been in this situation. I'm not married, but I've definitely had a couple of relationships where I have been with people who didn't contribute financially to the relationship. I felt like I was doing most of the heavy lifting. And also at the same time, wow, that connection, I literally thought that, oh, this one's going to be my soulmate. We're going to be together forever. Like that connection felt and also the frustration that i felt that oh my gosh this person's not contributing what do i do so i felt you know so connected to and repulsed at the same time in my situation and it, i didn't do it once i did it twice <laughs> some people don't learn <laughs> like me oops okay now i have <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler alert i don't date dudbeats anymore you know, I love
2: that you shared that story, Mary, and you and I were talking uh, before this began about how we are, you're really able to even see within the letter the disorganization of this woman's mind as she's talking about everything she loves and then, boom, on a dime, she switches and you can see that turmoil about what her struggle is, right? And the flip-flop, how she really is stuck
1: that disorganization is real. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of this situation, why don't we just remind our listeners just a little like elevator pitch, a little nutshell of what disorganized attachment is. My favorite style. (laughs) Um, The reason it's
2: my favorite style is because it's the one that's
1: most dismissed
2: by a lot of uh, mental health professionals. And in fact, you and I are both on the same page about how common it really is. And so disorganized attachment, if you have disorganized attachment, you most likely grew up in a home that had a lot of chaos, maybe some uh, substance abuse, undiagnosed mental uh, health uh, conditions, uh, experienced a fair amount of trauma, right? All of this is the foundation for disorganized attachment, which says either I yearn for closeness, but when you come close, I start clocking every single thread and become very afraid. Or yes, I want closeness. And when you come close, I shut it down. It's the push-pull. It's both closeness is terrifying as well as distance. And we can lead. We can be disorganized leading heavily with the anxious part of us, or we can be disorganized leading with the avoidant side of us. And for those of you out there, sometimes I hear like, oh, I'm so, you know, with this person, I just push away and this other person I want to be with. Chances are you have disorganized attachment. It's or you know, we're interdependent beings. So we're very affected by those around us. So sometimes it allows the other side of us to come out because somebody is responding to us to, to us in a different way. That then, then only then are we able to connect to the other the the uh-huh. flip side of yeah. that of that insecure like a dance. It, yeah. Like
1: depends kind of depends on where the other person the the side the other person is coming exactly. from. So if they're yeah. leading with anxiety, I'm like avoidant. And if they're leading with avoidant avoidance i'm like i'm so anxious so, exactly yeah exactly i love that explanation
2: and you know there's a real beauty to disorganized attachers, right um as a side note if you're dating someone and you feel a fair amount of confusion uh they're probably a disorganized attacher. it's a great rule of thumb as well as how you feel internally if you're somebody who feels consistently confused you might have some disorganized attachment. So okay.
1: you are talking about beauty. What do you? What's the beauty that we that you see in this woman's situation?
2: Okay, this is why. <laughs> one of the reasons why I love disorganized attachers? Because you see the depth of the connection this woman has with mm. her partner, right? And disorganized attachers have this kind of like um, a natural, inherent ability to intensely or deeply connect to the love womb like the truth of the universe that moon so like soul connected right so that's the beauty of, of disorganization they can get it they access it quick yeah
1: and it feels so good
2: it does feel yeah. so good it feels incredible yeah and then the challenge lies is it's almost because that access is so heightened mm-hmm. um it's very unstable so that you know the whiplash comes back or you know, as I said, the the, the spirit animals of the disorganized attachers are either the peacock, right, like this beautiful thing, and uh, it's so slippery, hard to grab onto, got to run away, or the tiger on its back with the claw. Like, is it is it going to get you or not? Like, and maybe one minute it's good, and the next minute it's not.
1: And so with her, that whole experience of that soulmate, that deep connection, that oh, I love. This person so, so, so much is part of that disorganization. And that's part of that beauty that you're talking about.
2: Yes, as well as the disconnect, right? This person entered a partnership saying, oh, I'm going to ignore, I'm going to suppress all these things that I'm not so sure work for me in favor of these other things. So then it becomes this black and white thinking, right? And that's where we run into problems, because the remedy around disorganization is actually the ability to hold both the side of you that wants to stay as well as the side of you that wants to go.
1: Well, I also think like I'm imagining this, this, this uh, listener of ours in this relationship. And what you were saying is like, we, you know, I mean, I'll just speak for myself in my experience. It's like, I just wanted to hold on to that like soulmate piece. Right. And so I kind of ignored all of the other stuff. And then and and so those needs of mine weren't being met. Right. And so I was just so into it. And then when I kind of like the cloud of that lifted and I started to look around, I noticed all these other parts of me that were being ignored. And then I started to feel resentful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about the resentment piece, what I hear in that is It's not just resentment towards the other partner. The other side of that is resentment towards self at the abandonment of self, right? Because we're not fully listening to our needs. Secure attachment involves us listening to ourselves, having the ability to tolerate our own experience, mirror and validate our emotions and support them, right? As well as receiving that from a partner and giving it to a partner, right? But you see the disconnect with this woman where it's 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 you know wh- where do I go with it? it's either all or it's nothing and so one of the things yeah
1: know, right there's no it's like it's either black or white like there's no mm-hmm, gray area mm-hmm. area and it's like we really need to work within the gray areas of the relationship
2: and the gray areas are going to be the window right like in we got to have first of all number one with you are in partnership, you have to, the, the, the real deal is that you're going to have to be with somebody who's at least willing to work on this, right? Like if you can't do all the emotional heavy lifting, if your partner is not willing to do any, and, and that's just the
1: reality, right?
2: Now, do they uh, need I, to be dealing with the same rate or have the same awareness? No, just a willingness. That's the flexibility.
1: Yeah. You know? I was just going to say, and I think that's where A lot of times, uh, you know, one of the people in the relationship can get so extremely frustrated that they start to set ultimatums, right?
2: Well, something you were saying earlier uh, when we were discussing this is around ultimatum as an act of love. And I would love it if you would talk about that a little more because I thought it was a really um, astute comment and observation well
1: i just think that an ultimatum like a lot i know that all there's advice out there that's like no never set an ultimatum right it's like you know there's only so much we can just kick the can down the road until we until the road ends then we're like okay now what so i think ultimatums are important because it is an act of love firstly i think it's an act of self-love because you're you're telling yourself like look i can't Do this anymore? I need to do something for me in the relationship, as opposed to the other person. And you're also telling the person, "Hey, I love and I care for you so much, and I care about this relationship. That there are certain things that need to change in order for this relationship to keep going, right, or to grow, or there needs to be some shift." And because this right now, it is a boundary. Yeah, because this right now is not working for us, or it may not be working for me. And if there is an us in this relationship, the other person has to recognize that, oh, wow, that person is really struggling. What can I do to help?
2: And also around that, you know, ultimatum as an act of love, um, the person who's given the ultimatum is not just listening to their needs, right? Creating a boundary, which is a step towards secure attachment. But also asserting they really see the potential of that person,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? That it's like, I know who you are. I see you for the truth of who you are. And here's where that willingness is going to come in. When we are in the throes of insecure attachment, whatever insecurely attached behavior it is, an anxious behavior or an avoiding behavior a fight, flight, freeze or fawn, any of that, the brain is in a state of rigidity. So right now, that's where we're going to need that willingness and a little bit of flexibility, it doesn't have to be a lot, but a little, and it will grow with the time. Like if you don't work out and you start, you know, doing um, uh, weights with biceps, right? You grow the weight over time. You just, you don't go straight to a 40 pound It's not going to work, right? So, so with that little bit of flexibility, it's having the awareness, okay, my partner is doing this from a place of love, even if it might not feel that way to you. Or if you were the one giving the ultimatum, right, That it's the willingness to say, hey, I'm, I'm listening to myself, I'm trusting myself, and can I give my, my partner that space that they might need to recalibrate, right? Because remember that dance of the anxious and the avoidant, the anxious part of us needs to respect the avoidant need for, for distance in order to recalibrate. Now, there has to be communication and boundary and tethering around that. But the start is through the flexibility
1: Whoa. and willingness. I love all of that. And I'm just going to back up to this point that you made about um, basically communicating to your partner if you're in, within the ultimatum, like, I know that you can be better. Like, I know that something, you know, better can, can arise from this. And I think that that belief And the other person possibly hearing that belief, like maybe they've never heard that before. Right. And so maybe that's like that is like you communicating like I see you. I see something deeper in you. And I want to bring that out and I want to care for it.
2: And that kind of communication is very different than what I see sometimes with people who have insecure attachment, who maybe they're the people pleaser. They go, oh. You know, no one's going to cross my boundaries. I'm just learning to say no. I love it. When you come at, at, at communication from that defensive place, it's going to create more defense or offense or the people pleasing response, which also can create, right, that, that distance, right? Because deep down, it's almost energetically like when I'm just trying to make it okay. It's a very different conversation to say, I see you. I'm speaking from an authentic place of what's going on for me. And when this woman and when her partner just gives her the hug and shuts her down, right, in essence, saying, I know you're trying to care for me in this moment. There's something happening for me that's really important. Are you able to hear me right now? This is what I see. Do you see how that conversation is very different than somebody who might just say, you know what, never mind, or you're not listening to me or, you know, it becomes becomes a a battle.
1: Right. And that can also feel like really dismissive when the partner comes over and just does the hug and the thing is is like what we have to realize is is like at that moment that's the only way that the partner is going to communicate so regardless of like where it's coming from or how you're interpreting the hug the thing is is that they are communicating with you on some level and i think it's important to explore that
2: that's going to be your little window of flexibility and openness to see, oh, this partner is trying to support me as best they can. Okay, it might not look how I want it to look. Am I able to allow that in while still holding, right? Remember the remedy for the disorganized attachment is holding both. I'm holding the support as well as the part of me that's in distress.
1: Yeah. Um, I I'm Sorry, I just have Because we were talking about the ultimatum. And I, and I have one other uh, kind of comment about the ultimatum is that The thing about the ultimatum and ultimatums can also cause a lot of distress in the person who is giving the ultimatum. So it's like, how do you hold that boundary for yourself and not say, oh, just kidding. I didn't really mean it. And so I think that's part of the work, too. Like when you are going to give an ultimatum, don't make it as a threat. You know, you really have to set it as a pretty hard boundary.
2: Hard boundary with a solution focus, right? Uh, helping people come to the solution versus uh, I feel this and then Sometimes people don't know what to do with that when they just say, oh, this is making me feel this way. But one of the, the biggest things you can do in communication when there's conflict is if the other party is able to say, how can you, I support you? And you give the solution. It's much easier to get through, right? It's more it's a more of a clear pathway. Um. Going back to the we talked about the gray areas before versus the black and white and how those were also little little windows of seeing where, let's say, things aren't as extreme like, okay, we have the financial situation over here and yet we have these other things. What about the middle ground? Are you able to connect um, in in Mm -hmm. more subtle ways? Right. Is it able to be we're looking for more moderate ways of connection versus always having the intensity. And in those moments, as well as the moments of conflict, if you're trying to work on your piece of that secure attachment, it's going to involve you also clocking the work within yourself. Like, what am I experiencing right now? And how can I support my own needs? This is not just about a partner meeting yours. That is one of the aspects. The other is you internally meeting your own.
1: Yeah. I mean, I love, like, because you know, when I was in that situation where it's like, oh, this is my soulmate. And I was really expecting that person. Like, I only thought that I could get that connection with that person. Yeah. And so I really put a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on that whole because so I'm like, oh, we can only get it from this one person. And this is the only person in the world that will ever see me in this way. And so I love how you were saying, like, you know, bring it back internally. It's like, oh, maybe this is a connection that I've never, ever gotten. And this person that I'm with happens to be the person that's igniting this inside of me. But Anne also may not be the only person in the world who's able to do that.
2: And remembering something came up when you were speaking. I love, I love how you spoke about how this person is triggering the response. And yes, it's the dance between two people but that you have that ability, right? And secure attachment within yourself is going to be your own ability to connect to that side. That doesn't mean you're going to feel the same thing with every single person, but we're talking about harnessing that side that that loves that depth, right? In essence, you are looking for that inside your soul and you're looking for it to be mirrored out with
1: partnership. And just even noticing the nuances in that, right? So with this person like, oh, this is a person who sees into my soul and this is my soulmate and all of that. Where, where, what are some other relationships that you may have out there that may not be, you know, soul wrenching or whatever, but that may turn into you that may, you know, other relationships where you feel that somebody sees you and that you feel that connection. And I think that's like, that's really the way to build that inner resource within you. It's like, oh, and not just with this person. It's also with like, you know, my friend or I left, you know, with the person that I, you know, at the dry cleaner, we had this like funny little connection and just noticing those little connections, because I think that helps build up that resource, uh, those interconnections.
2: And speaking to uh, the part of us that for those of you who identify as disorganized, weeding with the anxiety, it might even trigger anxiety to think, "Oh, there's more than right. Like this, this isn't the only one. Oh no! Like that can feel really scary." Mm. And and I think if you focus it on remembering, you're harnessing that power within yourself. It's almost that who is in front of it. It's like this is the it's the secondary gain from it, right? It becomes less important, if you will, right? Because you're learning to build that within yourself, so that you got yourself wherever you go. And um, I would also say that another tool around that is, uh, for lack of a better word, the power of prayer. And what I mean by that is just repeating something simple as like, may I let go of what I cannot control, right? Of what is out of my hands as I explore boundaries and explore the power within myself, right? uh, And looking at what are even our beliefs around love, if there should only be one person and what kind of Mm. pressure that puts on the relationship and that partner to meet every one of your needs, right? Because again, one of the other remedies in the situation here is to take down the intensity because that disorganization is always intense. And we know if we go back to the, I love an athlete metaphor, you can't always work out 150% every day. Your body cannot sustain it. So we have to learn when are those times for rest? When are those times to ease off that gas pedal so that we don't just like jerk the car in reverse and end up in an accident the other direction, right? Like it's like we've got to learn to hold it all, yeah, with with a more gentleness, more stability. So right, like looking for those small moments of connection as as tethering.
1: Yeah, and I and I love that when you just said, oh, you know, that expectation that we're putting it all on one person, and it and it makes me think, you know. Like what, what are your models of, you know, notice what your models of relationships are, you know, what are, what, what were the relationships, what were the relationships like growing up in your household? What were some of, you know, maybe your friends, parents relationships or other relationships that you've witnessed either, you know, on TV or in <clears throat> in real life? Like, what are some things that you would like to model in those types of relationships? And those, and what are some of the things that you would like to have in your own relationship and how can you foster that?
2: And I'm gonna throw out there, if you're running disorganized, the model might look extreme. You might be looking for the soul, the deep connection, blah, blah, which is great. And we remember we have to have the other stuff to sustain it, right? The, the more subtle forms of connection. We have to have a solid shared value system within the partnership, right? Uh, even a solid shared willingness to work on things, right? You got to create safety within those boundaries. Um, so notice, even as you're looking for what those relationship ideals are, if you're going to extremes all the time, right? Because again, we want to we want to support you in the proper way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why rom-coms will always make lots and lots of money, right? Because it pulls on that, need for connection and they do show things in extremes right people will like climb mountains or they will like do have extreme behaviors in these movies and we're just like yeah we want somebody to be extreme for us right and so I I do like how you say uh just be a little bit more careful of um you know just kind of notice yeah just tune into those extremes
2: And again, chances are, if you uh, grew up with that kind of extreme behavior, you might be looking for that again in partnership, right? Mm -hmm. But in the positive way, which again, it's it's the flip side of the same insecure coin.
0: Yeah. So I think it's important to note that somebody with an insecure attachment style can have that experience of thinking that they found their soulmate because it may involve a mix of intense emotions, fears, and hope. So just like what Jacqueline was saying, that Flip side of that same intense coin. So there can be that experience of heightened emotions. The prospect of a deep, meaningful connection can bring overwhelming joy and excitement, but also might trigger some anxiety and fear of the potential loss or rejection. Also, there could be a fear of abandonment. So even though there are a lot of positive feelings associated with finding a soulmate, there might be some undercurrents of anxiety about whether or not the person really reciprocates those feelings and if the connection is going to last. So there may be some uncertainty, some ambivalence, and there can be like some kind of internal struggle that you're feeling between the desire for closeness and a fear of becoming too dependent or vulnerable. Again, I know we talked about disorganized attachment style. So this can kind of feel like that push pull. Another thing that might happen with The whole soulmate experience is really overanalyzing the relationship. I feel like people really want to believe in that idea of a soulmate. So in order to keep that belief going, you're going to keep seeking reassurance from the partner. So again, back to the fear of being abandoned, not being enough, and also needing for that constant validation. On the flip side, again, saying the word flip side, let's talk about how avoidance may consciously or unconsciously create a distance or push away their perceived soulmate. So again, there may be that fear of intimacy, vulnerability can lead to behaviors that create a protective emotional buffer and really prevent from fully engaging in the relationship. So there can be a lack of distrust around the feeling of having that soulmate. Another thing that goes on with soulmates is that idealization and inevitably idealization will lead to disappointment, right? So the other partner can't be perfect or what your perception of perfection is a hundred percent of the time. They are human beings. So you may have this high expectation and inevitably they are not going to be able to live up to it. So remember Even if you do believe in that notion of a soulmate, you know, really get clear about what your expectations are around that. So, just it's important to recognize that if you have an insecure attachment style, you can still experience fulfilling and meaningful relationships. Again, it is a give and take. There is a lot of compromise out there. So, just remember that your own self awareness, open communication, and any kind of therapeutic support that you may need to address your fears around building a more secure foundation for your relationship. If you have any questions about attachment styles, soulmates, relationships, dating, please reach out to me on Instagram. You can DM me at Therapy or check out my website marybetherapy.com. And thanks for listening.